Welcome to the AUC podcast on building our collective American dream. I'm Dr. S.K. Lowe, president of AAUC. The well-being of our community hinges on good health care, which is an important building block in our collective American dream. In this podcast, we focus on the health care crisis in our Asian American Pacific Islander community during the pandemic of COVID-19. Our complex community are facing double crises, being disproportionately infected and died, as well as being stigmatized as the harbinger of the virus. We are fighting the viruses of the disease as well as misguided hate. We are very fortunate to have with us our member organization, the 1990 Institute, and its Asian Health Services to host this serious and informative discussion. Important efforts were launched by both institutions to fight against the stigma and the proximal health care provided to over 50,000 low-income population in San Francisco Chinatown. Our host, Xiao Niu, from the 1990 Institute, will lead us in the first part of our podcast. Let's go to Sean. I'm Sean Niu, a member of the 1990 Institute, and I will be your host for today's episode. The 1990 Institute is a partner organization with the AAUC, and we are very grateful to the AAUC for this opportunity to guest host a podcast on their platform. The 1990 Institute is committed to promoting the development of a constructive relationship between the US and China and to champion fair and equal treatment for Asian Americans. On today's episode, we're going to focus on critical issues impacting Asian Americans' physical and mental health as we fight two pandemics, COVID-19 and the associated rise in racist attacks on Asians that has raged across America. First, I'll be joined by 1990 Chairman Dan Chow, and board member Stephen Wong. You will hear a fascinating conversation between CEO Sherry Hirota and Dr. Winston Wong, both of who have decades of experience championing and advocating for Asian American health issues. But first, let's welcome Dan and Stephen. Thank you both for joining me. Can we both just start off with a little background about what led you to 1990? Dan, maybe we can just start with you first. I joined the Institute about 20 years ago to try to promote better relations between our two countries and to help China develop and open up to the world. I come to 1990 by way of uh, marketing. 1990 was a fantastic opportunity for me to join and contribute my marketing skills. I'm really thankful, Stephen, for you to introduce me to 1990. Stephen, you specifically have worked on a number of campaigns to educate people about COVID-related racism. I think you're referring to two campaigns that my agency has done for the Ad Council. One was called Fight the Virus, Fight the Bias, for Love Has No Labels. And the other one is the Vaccine Hesitancy Campaign for the Ad Council. A campaign led by experts like you to highlight the visibility of Asian Americans that are being impacted by these attacks across our communities is really important. I, I just want to uh, reinforce that Stephen and his expertise in marketing is so valuable because nonprofit organizations just think about helping their own communities. People need to speak up more and they don't know how to do it. That's right. Stephen, how about the vaccine campaign? Can you tell us a little bit more details about that? 
we are participating in the national campaign from the Ad Council with the CDC to target vaccine hesitancy in this campaign. We are involved in helping us extend the campaign into Asian languages. The research shows that while in general we have 20 to 30 percent of people ready to take them, about 50 percent that are on the fence. What have been the channels that have worked for Asian American communities? I don't have anything definitive there. The Asian American communities are classic first-generation immigrant communities in the U.S. The complication comes to mass communications is that we have cultural nuances and language barriers. In order to reach them, there is this two-step process of reaching their children first and then arming their children with the facts that they need, possibly in local language, that they then pass off to their parents. Mm, that's awesome. I'm excited to see what comes out of it. I believe Sherry and Winston will talk some more about language access. Dan, you also sit on the board of Asian Health Services. Can you finish off more insight into AHS and your work there before we turn it over to Sherry and Winston? I am the treasurer on the board of Asian Health Services, which has about 450 staff and services about 50,000 low-income patients. They work tirelessly every day. They put their own lives on the line with COVID, deal with everything you can think of related to COVID, including getting a PPP loan so that we don't have to lay off staff, getting enough PPE for the doctors and the nurses so they can perform their healthcare services. They have set up a testing site in the community because people don't want to travel, especially because of all the hate crimes and incidents going on. And they've set up a, a vaccination center. Their website is asianhealthservices.org. You can reach them and donate, or you can even volunteer to help them with things like the vaccination clinics and the testing sites. That's great. And really excited to hear from Sherry and Winston. So any final closing statements from the two of you? I want to encourage our listeners to using your voice. It can be as simple as having conversations with your friends or even your family about the topics that we've discussed. Just having this type of dialogue is a very powerful tool. I certainly echo that. Becoming more aware, getting more educated, and then speaking up, donating, talking to your colleagues, your classmates, your family to try to overcome the systemic and implicit biases that we all have. Thank you both for those wise words and for your time and your continued efforts within our community. We're going to turn it over to Sherry and Dr. Winston. Winston, it's great to be here and wonderful to have the opportunity to speak to you, Winston, and our AAUC and 1990 audience. We're going to cover some burning issues related to health in the community, how important it is to have care in our own language and culture, which you understand from your whole professional career, what it means in the time of COVID, and how the rise of anti-Asian hate has affected not only health outcomes, but our mental health and more. I think these are such cutting edge issues in terms of where we are in the pandemic, but these are issues that have frankly gone back more than 150 years. And we see kind of the manifestation in COVID-19 as just history revisited. Let's for a moment go back to maybe 50 years. At Asian Health Services, we measure our impact by not just how many people we serve in healthcare, but how many of our community members and patients understand and assert their right to healthcare. 
how poignant it is today as our community faces a pandemic of COVID and racism to have that kind of perspective. At AHS, we provide care to 50,000 patients in 12 languages and cultures. So it does matter that our staff come from the community. They speak the languages, they live the cultures. That means we are a trusted source of care, information, and services. Community health centers have been the eye of the storm this year and also a core part of the solution to getting the care to the most vulnerable populations. Again, it seems like we were blamed and ignored in the Asian community. The pandemic hit, Asians were spit upon, shunned, and seemed to go into hiding, afraid of rising hate, didn't get tested, didn't get care, isolated and depressed. Winston, how do you see this paradox? Well, it's very interesting. I think early on in the pandemic, I've made comment that in the first 10,000 deaths that occurred in the United States, there were no reported deaths among Asian Pacific Islanders, Native Hawaiians. I emphasize reported because in the first 10,000 deaths, we know that there were certainly hundreds of Asian Americans and Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders that had already died of COVID-19. It was only really through kind of the diligent efforts of AHS and other leaders that we started to really uncover the truth of really what the healthcare condition is of our communities. Early on, as I said, we didn't even acknowledge the deaths that occurred in the AA and HPI community. It was only through advocacy that the story was starting to be told. And within two or three months, I do recall being in a press conference in San Francisco, Chinatown, where we were alerting the community about the adverse effect of someone in the White House declaring that this was Kung Flu or the China virus. That person certainly has influence in terms of the narrative of how people perceive the disease and the pandemic. At that point, when I was at the press conference, I made a point to say it was not just a question of being insulting or demeaning. It was a question of also the fear that was going to be put into our communities for our patients to start really making some difficult choices about whether they even want to go see the doctor because they didn't know if they were going to be blamed and being assaulted either physically or through verbal taunts and or insults or altercations. So I think the sad story of COVID-19, it's been evolving story of the escalation of racism and xenophobia as it manifests for Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. And then on top of that, we'll talk about a little bit later, is the irony of the fact that so many of the healthcare workforce in the United States is actually of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander descent. And they're getting disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, first, as just being victims of the virus, and secondly, being identified with being harbingers of the disease because of the racist narrative that accompanies the pandemic. Thank you, Winston. So Winston, you grew up in San Francisco. You also, for many years, were the CMO of Asian Health Services, the chief medical officer, and saw the Asian community health needs on the ground. Subsequent to that, you were the medical director at Region 9 Health and Human Services, and then spent uh, many years at Kaiser Community Benefits National Office, understanding healthcare across the country in one of our largest health systems. So now you are the chair of the National Council of Asian American and Pacific Islander Physicians. 
you have taken all that experience and have brought it to bear on current health policy in this country. Can you tell us about a recent letter that you have been circulating and bringing to the attention of our nation's health leader? Thanks, Sherry, for inviting me to talk about that. Frankly, I think the statement touches upon some of the things that I've really had very central to my commitment to the community and to healthcare, because it brings together a lot of elements about justice and equity and how that is or is not present in our communities. The statement was signed by 222 healthcare leaders, public health leaders, about how we as healthcare leaders of Asian descent, Native Hawaiian Pacific Island descent, really felt was important for the community needs around COVID-19 to really be addressed very forcefully. Number one was to really urge the patients that we care for to make sure that they got the vaccine. And number two is to call to question how our public health and our healthcare system has met the needs of this diverse population. One, in terms of the data issues that I mentioned earlier, and number two, with regards to the question of allocation and access to treatment, care, prevention of COVID-19, because these issues around prevention, treatment, the vaccination, frankly, gets overlooked in all parts of the country relative to all the unique needs that make up our community. So this was a forceful statement calling into question where our public health systems are in terms of caring for our communities. In addition, I pointed out too that we have a special role as healthcare leaders in the Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander community to call out what we see, not just in terms of uh, system leaders, but as clinicians. And that is critical in terms of how the country looks at COVID-19 as a question, not just of getting jabs and arms, vaccinations and arms, but more about equity, how we think about justice, how we think about access, how we think about quality, how we think about populations that don't speak English, how we think about the communities that are marginalized, how we think about unique aspects of our community, such as the Pacific Islanders that have certain laws related to the Compact of Free Association. These are all issues in our community that overlooked or not integrated into a strategy fail to provide the kind of care around the pandemic that we should be entitled to. That's very interesting, Winston. It's interesting because for the first time, even in my lifetime, we seem to have Asian American issues in the news almost on a daily basis for at least the last couple of weeks or month. But why is the issues you're describing not in the news? Why isn't this more widely known? Well, I think that's one of the great maybe mysteries or maybe the recurrent themes around the invisibility of the issues in the AA Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander community. I think the media and public leaders have been slow towards recognizing that our communities are in distress, are in pain, and have very unique and specific needs. Why this happens has a lot to do with the prevailing narrative that suggests that if you take care of Asians or if you know Asians in the United States, that's just one story. The one story that has been percolated through decades is, you know, there's that's a group you don't 
don't really need to care for. You don't need to really be concerned about because they're all, you know, upper income, they're college educated, they have income levels that are higher than the white mainstream, all of which, if you look at the real data, is a very distorted view of the complexity of our population groups and also degrades the impact of what immigration and being refugees has impacted with regards to the social determinants of health in our communities. So uh, I think sometimes those stories are not being told because people don't want to dismantle the myth. And secondly, because there's frankly a lot of lackadaisical issues with regards to how policymakers really take on the issues of Asian Americans and Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. Well, that's fascinating. I do understand that the LA Times had a recent article about the demographics of Asian Americans in this country, and it was beyond the stereotype. And I think that that came out of the reporting after the Atlanta murders. But nonetheless, what is the impact of Asian Americans being invisible or othered in the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been concentrating on on behalf of the National Council of Asian Pacific Islander Physicians is the impact on the profession itself. And I think one of the startling data points we have is that Filipino nurses, you know, have represented 30% of the nursing deaths in the entire country, even though they only represent 5 to 7% of the nursing workforce. That really is emblematic of where many Asian Americans are in terms of in the front lines of being at healthcare, not to mention their heroism in terms of caring for our uh, a nation in terms of its healthcare crisis. I think what we need to do is to call out the fact that Asian Americans and Native ones and Pacific Islanders are an essential and critical part of our healthcare profession, as well as the nation itself. And rather than and to cover up or blanket that these disparities exist, we should actually amplify and magnify them because they're representative of ongoing issues that we've had in terms of not understanding and uncovering the data, the stories behind the data, and also the issues that our individual practitioners face day to day. There's very few healthcare professionals of Asian descent that have been able to talk about these issues. They're often seen at the national level in terms of being commentators around COVID-19, but they're not able or not allowed or not given the space to talk about the issues that are specific to the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander community, which I think is kind of a tragic irony that they're recognized as experts in COVID-19 generically, but they're not acknowledged as potential experts that speak specific to our communities. This is particularly dramatic when we hear about the increase in mental health issues in our community. The stress and the fear is leading to very high rates of anxiety, depression, this total isolation, this community going underground. They are all the resulting effects. So Winston, how would you address this part of the dilemma? Well, I think there's a kind of a double whammy here. I think one, we have to acknowledge that the social isolation, the social distancing that is required in terms of preventing the pandemic from spreading requires a lot of people to stay at home. And that results in a lot of mental health and stress and anxiety. And in the Asian community, we're certainly not immune from that. But the problem that we have is that there's not many systems that are able to care for a multilingual and maybe largely immigrant population with mental health issues that we know are spread throughout the entire country. 
how you deal with these mental health issues on a one-on-one therapeutic level through telehealth systems is a problematic one, I think, for our community to speak so many different languages and has uh, very irregular access to something like telehealth. But I think on another level, the second part of the whammy is how the trauma that's been associated with anti-Asian hate crimes has resulted in not only individuals feeling a lot of stress. I mean, I have a lot of friends who tell me, you know, when they go out and do their normal daily living activities, they're always on the edge. They're afraid that they're going to be assaulted or attacked verbally or otherwise. In addition to the fact that just seeing the crimes that have been committed, that there is a lot of dread in the community throughout, that this is something that is affecting our overall community mental health. The fact that people don't feel safe in communities, don't feel safe in Chinatowns, don't feel safe in Koreatowns, don't feel safe in Little Saigons, don't feel safe as running their own businesses. So we cannot minimize both the individual and community-wide impact of these stresses and the psychological impact and the mental health issues. I'm going to take a deep breath here along with the rest of the audience and say, Dr. Wong, we are so fortunate to have your expertise in leadership. In moving forward, what do you think our collective call to action is? Well, I think there's a few things. One is we have to be able to call out for the Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander population for the sake of all Americans the issues around marginalized populations, limited English proficient communities around their needs in in the pandemic. The fact is across the country, we know that communities of color have the disproportionate burden of death and disease around COVID-19. So if equity and justice are to be served, we have to be able to configure ways that not only the vaccine, but the prevention, the treatment, the follow-up for cases need to be put in place. And how do you put that in place? You have to do it in a way that is proximal to communities. And how do you be proximal to communities? Part of that proximity to communities is kind of the geographic component accompanied with the cultural proximity of which Asian Health Services is so good at being able to provide care that is culturally proximate to the understanding of what health and wellness means for individual communities. If we just take the general approaches to doing COVID-19 work and try to apply it to complex communities that exist in the A Native Hawaiian PI community, we'll fail because there's nothing generic about providing care in those settings. It requires people that really are embedded in the community, that speak the language, that have the cultural competence, that have the credibility, the insight, and the stature, frankly, to be able to do this effectively. I think I would like to say on behalf of everybody listening, thank you, Winston. Thank you, Dr. Wong. Well, it's really my honor and my pleasure. I remember my first visit to Asian Health Services as a pre-medical student at UC Berkeley. I was so entranced by the fact that people were so dedicated to provide health care in terms of making sure that people were, you know, getting checked for high blood pressure or getting their diabetes checked or even their cancers followed up. 
but then coupled with a strong, strong sense of we need to be able to support our communities, to advocate for our communities, to amplify their voices. There was always the pairing between providing health care is only as important as how we advocate for our communities. As I think about those first glimpses I had at Asian Health Services, that germ or that flame of uh, understanding how we can care and heal, we also need to advocate and strengthen. That's been a persistent flame with Asian Health Services and been with other community-based organizations for decades. Dr. Winston Wong, you have the last word. Oh, well, I I think I've spoken too much, but I think it's important to understand what's happened in the past. But for us to be really stewards of community health is to really constantly look forward. What do we need to do? What should we anticipate in the next two years, in five years, in 10 years? Because if we just kind of respond to what's in front of us, frankly, we'll always be behind because the needs of the community are very dynamic. The demographics of our community are always changing and the generations that are coming behind us are always going to push us. We have to think not where we are today, but where we want to be in the next couple of years. Thank you, Dr. Wong, Sherry, Steve, Dan, as well as Sean, for the in-depth and insightful discussion on AAPI healthcare. Listening to this podcast, my main takeaways are the pandemic only heightens our long-existing problems of overcoming the stigma, language, and cultural barriers of being an Asian American and Pacific Islander in the U.S. A big part of good healthcare especially in our complex society that speaks 32 different languages from widely different cultures, not only includes early detection, prevention, cure, and healing care, it should also be proximal to and advocate for those in needs. The power of advocacy starts with discussing the issues among our family and friends, which we all can do. The AUC podcast is supported by Active Individual, and organization members. For more information about AAUC, please go to our website, asamunitycoalition.org. Again, it's asamunitycoalition.org. For information about 1990 Institute, go to 1990institute.com. For Asian Health Services, go to asianhealthservices.org. Thank you for listening to our podcast on building our collective American dream. Do tune in our next AAUC podcast on the last Sunday, May 30th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Fight Against Asian Hate. I'm Dr. S.K. Lowe, President of AAUC. The well-being of our community hinges on good health care, which is an important building block in our collective American dream. In this podcast, we focus on the health care crisis in our Asian American Pacific Islander community during the pandemic of COVID-19. Our complex community are facing double crises, being disproportionately infected and died, as well as being stigmatized as the harbinger of the virus. We are fighting the viruses of the disease as well as misguided hate. We are very fortunate to have with us our member organization, the 1990 Institute, 
and its affiliate Asian Health Services to host this serious and informative discussion. Important efforts were launched by both institutions to fight against the stigma and the proximal health care provided to over 50,000 low-income population in San Francisco Chinatown. Our host, Xiao New from the 1990 Institute, will lead us in the first part of our podcast. Let's go to Sean. <laughs> 